With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to episode 25 of the Penscast. It is Sunday, December 10th, 2023. And like the episode number, the Penguins have an equal number of points. Penguins have played 26 games up until today and sit at 25 points on the year. That is good enough for tied for third last in the Eastern Conference. They're tied with the Buffalo Sabres, who have played two more games than them. Um, The Sabres have played two more games than the Penguins, is what I mean. And just ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who have played 30 games and have 23 points, and the Ottawa Senators, who have only played 22 games, which is a crazy disparity between Ottawa and Columbus. And uh, they only have 22 points, but a much better point percentage rate um, than either Columbus or Buffalo. So the Penguins aren't in a good spot right now, as you can imagine. And if you've been following along at all, you've been able to watch the games and see how terrible the Penguins have been. And there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. And it's not just the power play. We're going to get into the power play, obviously, because that's been the big sticking point for this team. But it's it goes a lot further than that, and it goes back to this offseason where there was a lot of questionable things, uh, decisions that were made. At the time, I thought there was a lot of good that was done this offseason. I think a lot of uh, some issues, not a lot, I think some issues were addressed. And the signing that I was most concerned about ended up being the best of them all. That's Tristan Jari, who's had a great season so far for the Penguins. It's kind of been the complete opposite of what you would expect from the Penguins this season, where you acquire Eric Carlson, you assume that the power play would be firing at a top three, top five rate in the NHL. Tristan Jari, who's coming off of a pretty not-so-good year, you think that he'd kind of be struggling. No, he's been fantastic, and the team just can't score. The complete inverse, I think, of what a lot of Penguin fans expected up until this point. They're still three quarters-ish of the season left to be played, but the first quarter has not been one to remember for the Penguins. 
Speaking of the power play, let's just get right down into it. They have been throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Coach Sullivan has tried a number of different combinations for the top unit, the bottom unit. He separated Malkin and Crosby for a game or two. That didn't work at all. And I'm not really sure what the solution is because, not to be the, you know, the ob- Captain Obvious here, they have four potential future Hall of Famers that they can stick out at any given point when they have the man advantage, and it's still not working. During all my preseason, you know, prediction shows, I thought the power play would be better than it's ever been. And it's it hasn't. It's been the worst it's ever been. It's at a record low rate. As it stands right now, let me get the numbers up here. <clears throat> they are third last in the NHL in power plays. Uh, power play percentage, excuse me. Um, they are at 9.5%. So roughly one in every 10 power plays they're getting a goal, which isn't accurate recently because they have been over their last 37. Going back over a month, they have not scored a power play goal. And they're just ahead of 8.8% St. Louis Blues and 8.6% Washington Capitals, which is a very interesting revelation, in my opinion, too. Because they actually have had a pretty good start to their season. They've waned off a little bit here recently, the Capitals. But Ovi has not been producing at the rate that he's used to. And I think their power play is really faltering because of it. So it's interesting that I feel like if you looked at the stats five, six, seven years ago, those are two teams. Honestly, the bottom three teams, St. Louis included, are teams that you'd expect to be at the top of the power play percentage. But time is undefeated. And these three teams are in the bottom and just ahead of the Penguins in 11% is Chicago, another team who, you know, if you looked at those same standings, maybe like 2017, 2016, 2018, that those would probably be like two or four of the top 10 power plays in the league. But it hasn't worked. And everyone thought Eric Carlson would be kind of the um, savior of a power play, but he hasn't produced at a level on the power play at least that uh has been very hopeful he has two power play goals this year and he has he's been as advertised in my opinion I don't think he's the reason the team is struggling as much as it is if you look at his season last year excuse me if you look at his season last year he had uh, I think it was like 76 ish even strength points so three quarters of his points were not uh, power play points. They were even strength points. For a defenseman who had as good of a season as he had, it's pretty interesting that he had so many even strength points. He's not a power play merchant. He is a guy who excels at five on five. And this season, he's at 19 points in 26 games. He's in fifth place in the Penguins uh, in points. And he has not been the issue offensively. And I I know there's a lot of people out there who will point the finger like, what's the difference between this year and last year? It's him. He must be the issue. He must be the problem. He's the reason why this power play is not going. He's not. He's not the reason why this power play is not going. He's an elite player who has not always been the best on the power play. Like I said, he's been better better at 5-on-5, his numbers prove it, than he has been on the power play. But he's an elite offensive player, and he's not the reason why this power play stinks. This power play stings, in my opinion, because the strategy that's being used right now is outdated and the players are are 
kind of aging out. The players that the Penguins are utilizing on the power play are aging out of the system. The system that they have, where they kind of have four guys around, almost like an um, like the umbrella system, and then you kind of want to have one guy sort of towards the middle in front of the net, it works when you have a guy in 2017, 2018, like Patrick Hornfist, who can stand in front of the net, get in the way of the goalie, kind of have sometimes, you know, get away from a defender, sometimes pull a defender away toward him, and, uh, you know, really make an even bigger man advantage for the other guys. That's a guy who can jam away at both the goalie, the defender, and the puck. You don't have that anymore. The guy that they're setting setting up net front is Jake Gensel, who leads the league in not the league, sorry, leads the team in points, 29. He's tied for second on the team in goals, 10, but he's not the kind of player that you can throw in front of the net and expect him to jam away. He is a better player from the perimeter, from the outside of the slot. He he's a better player with you, you want to utilize him with passing and shooting, not doing a tip drill. He's not Joe Pavelski. He's not Patrick Hornfist. He's a much better player if you put him toward the outside. It doesn't make sense to have him as the net front presence. Honestly, Crosby would do better in that role, but even even Crosby hasn't had the opportunity to do well in that spot. So I don't think they have the personnel to match the system they're playing with. And if you go back to 2013, 14, 15 Penguins, honestly, the dark ages of this iteration of the Penguins because they had a ton of talent and could never put it all together and, you know, get to the finals. I remember sitting at, at the time, the console energy center and hearing every time there was a power play, shoot, shoot, shoot. The fans would get so mad and it became a meme almost because the guys would never shoot. It was a pass drill the entire time. And, and now anytime the guys do take a shot on the power play, it's blocked. And it leads to an odd man rush because more than likely Eric Carlson is pinching and is, is taking a risk coming up a little too far on the power play, excuse me, and no one's covering for him. And whoever else is back is left to you know sprint back and try to stop a two-on-one. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but shorthanded opportunities against the Penguins have to be leading in that category because so many times on the power play, they are getting burned it's getting to the point where on Penguins Twitter, fans want them to decline the power play. How ridiculous is that? Yeah, it's a ridiculous thought, but strategically, at this point, with how bad the power play is firing and how much of a net negative it is, it, I mean, I mean, I get it. I, I understand the frustration. I don't think it's something that any team in their right mind would ever do, but I understand what they mean when they're saying that because they are especially over the last month, the last calendar month, they've got nothing to show for that power play, nothing at all. But I don't want to dwell on the power play. I think that's been beaten to death, and I think it is a huge problem uh, as to why the Penguins are struggling so mightily. I saw a, a stat on Twitter. I don't know the accuracy of it, but this is the worst start, I believe, for the Penguins in the first 25 games since Crosby's rookie year. They are sub-500. They are 11, 12, and 3. That's how they have those 25 points. And if you count the loser, if you don't count the loser points, if you just count the OT losses as losses, they're 11 and 15. They have lost four, they've ended the game with four more losses than wins. It's terrible. It, 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 for the expectations that going into the season, with how 
highly, um, you know, cheered upon the off season was, you know, everyone loved what Kyle, a lot of people, not everyone, a lot of people loved what what Kyle Dubas was doing, and we're at a point now where does what does, what does Kyle do? Does he make a trade? Does he fire a coach? Does he fire the head coach? There's a lot of options right now for Kyle. He made a move today. He signed Jesse Poyarvi to a uh, professional tryout. I believe he is. I believe with that tryout, he's able to play. I'm pretty sure. Um, so I guess he might be playing on Tuesday against Arizona. That's the next game, uh, two days from now. So he made a, a a deal. You know, a single thing he did, but. What else? What's the next move? That's not going to thread the needle. That's not going to change what's going on. There's a lot of teams right now that are struggling or, and are you know firing under expectations, especially in the East. Ottawa is one. Like I said, they haven't played as many games, but they are in a spot now where they are underperforming, and their win their point percentage is even better than the Penguins. They're at least 500. Uh, the Penguins are at 481. Penguins are underperforming. The Sabres are underperforming. The Senators are underperforming. Those are three teams that we're expecting to be in the wild card race. There are three of the bottom four teams in the East right now. Carolina is outside of the playoff picture right now. They are 14, 12, and 1 with 29 points. Uh, they have a 537 point percentage. They're outside the playoffs. New Jersey is outside of the playoffs. They're 14, 10, and 1, 29 points with a 580 point percentage. The Capitals were overperforming for a long time, and they're kind of sort sort of coming back down to earth but they're still uh well within reach of a playoff spot and they have a lot of games in hand on teams in front of them tampa bay is underperforming but they're in the final wild card spot right now 29 games played 31 points um so the, the capitals have a great opportunity to take over the lightning at any given point detroit is overperforming they're doing great they're in that top wild card spot spot 32 points in 26 games played then you look in the division, Boston is doing, I, I don't get it, but they're still the best team in the East, even after they lost their first and second line center. There's something crazy going on in Boston. I think not a lot of people are discussing, but they're doing fantastic. Florida has outplayed, um, I think, their expectations. I expected them to be a wild card fringe team because they were going to be without Brandon Montour and Aaron Ekblad, their top two defensemen, for the first few months of the year. And they played well through it, and now they're getting them back, or have them back. Toronto, 24 games played, 32 points. They're probably living up to expectations. Uh, it's probably about where they expect to be, maybe a little better, but they still have some games in, in hand to play. Top of the Metro, uh, the New York Rangers are playing better than I expected. I thought that they were going to be a fringe team. I thought that they were going to be, I thought they are going to make the playoffs, but they are one point behind, two two points behind. Excuse me, the Boston Bruins for first in the East, uh, with a game in hand. So, if they win that game in hand, they are in the driver's seat in the Eastern Conference. And then you have Philadelphia and the Islanders, who are in two and three in the Metro. I cannot believe what I'm seeing with the Flyers. I do expect them to come back down to earth. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I stand by that. They just do not have enough talent on that team to sustain. If you look at the individual stats, they're not getting you know, a bunch of goals. They're not getting a bunch of points They're I think they've gotten very lucky to be in the position where they're at right now. Uh, so I don't expect that to be able to, to sustain the Islanders. I never know from year to year what to expect from them. They have a very odd record. They're 12, seven and seven. So that's a five ninety six point percentage. 
they have a lot of overtime losses. They got a lot of loser points. If you do the same thing that you did with the Penguins, if you combine OT losses and losses, they are sub-500 team. But somehow, they're in a playoff spot because Gary Bettman's NHL, everybody. So the East is kind of a crapshoot right now. And there's room for the Penguins to you know, get their shit together and start making start making headway. But it doesn't look like there's an end to this because every game you watch of the Penguins, it's the same mistakes. It's the same issues. It, it seems like there needs to be a deep-rooted systemic change. And I've been talking to people that, you know, that, that, that I work with, talking with people in the know, and I, everyone thinks that a coaching change is what's going to happen. They don't think a trade is possible. They don't think a trade is going to thread the needle. I, I don't think Jesse Pujarvi signing threads the needle at all. So I think, I mean, Kyle Dubas said the Florida road trip, the last two games, Tampa and Florida, were going to be a big deciding factor on whether the team is, where the direction of the team's going for the rest of the season. And they lost both of those games 3-1. to one. Before that, they lost to Philadelphia in overtime 2-1. to one. And the game before that, here in Pittsburgh, they lost to Philly 4-3 in a shootout. So over their last four games, they've scored six goals in four games. Over their last three, they've scored three goals. They're not getting goals there, Tristan Jari is standing on his head, to be completely honest with you. He's been, honestly, even if this team does miss the playoffs, if he sustains his stats, he should be a finalist for the Vesna. He's really kept this team in it. His save percentage, his shutouts, he's he's right up there with the rest of the best goalies in the NHL. He's done fantastic. And I'm, I'm going to eat my words. He, I thought that was a really bad deal. There's still time for it to be a bad deal. But for this season, at the salary Tristan Jari is making... He's overperforming. No doubt about it. He's overperforming. And the Penguins are not giving him any run support whatsoever. Going into this week, like I said, Tuesday, they play the Arizona Coyotes at home, and then they immediately fly to Quebec. And on Thursday night, sorry, Wednesday night, they'll be playing in Mon- they'll be playing the Montreal Canadiens. They'll have two days of rest, Thursday and Friday. And Saturday they will play in Toronto against the Maple Leafs. And I want you to circle that one on your calendar. Uh, Saturday night, December 16th, in Toronto, Penguins Maple Leafs. Because I believe that'll be Hockey Night in Canada. It's a Saturday night game. It's going to be the Kyle Dubas return to Toronto. And if they have a bad week, if the Arizona game doesn't go well, which Arizona's had a very good season, so I could easily see the Penguins losing that one. If the Montreal game doesn't go well, There'll be increased media attention on that Montreal and specifically that Toronto game on Saturday. If they go 0 for 3 here this week, or even 1 for 2, if they beat Arizona but then lose to Montreal and Toronto, or if they lose to Arizona, beat Montreal, lose to Toronto, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that Kyle Dubas fires somebody. Could be Todd Reardon, who's been the man in charge of the power play that has been bottom of the league or it might be Mike Sullivan. There may be two Mike head coaches in Pittsburgh sports who have been here for a long time, longest in the, in their respective leagues or close up there. 
that could potentially be fired this month. Or in Mike Tomlin's case, uh, probably at the end of the season, which would be in, in January. Because Kyle Dubas, he's not going anywhere. He's in a fir- the first year of his seven-year deal. He made changes. And he made a lot of those changes in consultation with Mike Sullivan. Because the idea was that Mike Sullivan was going to be here for a long time. And he wanted some say in the roster. And I think Kyle and Fenway gave him some say. And in return, the team, whether it's his, it's on him or not, the team has not performed. And historically, this team with these leaders, the, the, the cornerstones of this roster, they play better when there's change. They, I don't know what it is, but some fire go- comes from underneath them and they play better when there's a coaching change. Go back to when Michelle Terrian was fired and they brought in Bilesma. Then Bilesma, they brought in Johnston. That didn't really work. They get rid of Johnston. They bring in Sullivan. Completely different trajectory of the organization after that happened. But you might be thinking, who do you bring in if you fire Mike Sullivan? Because Mike Sullivan would get a job immediately or pretty close to it. Whoever the next head coach is to lose his job, you if, if Mike Sullivan wants the next opening, he's going to get it. He's a highly, highly touted head coach in the league. In the offseason, there were rumors that the Rangers, because they had an opening after firing Gerard Gallant, there's rumors that Mike Sullivan was uh, one of the potential targets for um, for the Rangers. And I even talked with some Rangers fans and they're asking like, hey, do you think that's a possibility? Do you think?" That? And I was like, there's no way. This organization loves Mike Sullivan, top to bottom. They live and breathe Mike Sullivan and they're, there's no chance that he's going to leave. And at the time, I didn't think that there was any, opp- I didn't think there was a chance that he was going to leave, honestly, because he had so much say in the organization. But we're at the point now where this is the last, one of the last years of the kick at the can. I think the Eric Carlson trade may have kept things, you know, in that direction, maybe extended the window another year. But th- this is this is one of your, probably either your last or second last, last year that you're going to be able to compete at this level. They're going to be able to try to play for a Stanley Cup. Crystal Tang's 36. Eric Carlson's 33. Sidney Crosby's 36. Evgeny Malkin's 37. Jake Gensel is a UFA at the end of this year. That is where we're at right now. You, you cannot have this be a wasted year. And if Kyle Dubas decides to sell, who who are you selling? Are you selling Gensel? Because that's the best player on your team right now. If you're selling Gensel, you need to get a king's ransom for him back. That's such an integral player on this team that you you need to be getting at least a first and some for that guy. But the problem with that is you don't own your first round pick. If you miss the playoffs this year, you own it this year, and then San Jose gets next year's. So you better be hoping for a quick turnaround, and if that's the case, you're not trading Jake Gensel. You're not letting him walk either. You need a guarantee that Jake Gensel is coming back to this team. I I, I don't know what the right move here is for this organization. I, I, do, I truly don't know. 
They're they're in such dire straits right now. And I want to look at the lineup because this is something I've been thinking about over the last couple of days. There are injuries right now. Uh, Brian Rust is out with uh, some injury. He he had an injury, came back for a couple games, and now is injured again. Ricard Raquel is on LTIR. So they're missing their top two right wings. But that aside, the current lineup, the one that was put on the ice last game, is not an NHL lineup by any means. The I'd say half of the forwards are not NHL players, and the bottom pair on defense is not NHL caliber. This was the lineup uh, for the last game. On the first line, it was Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, and Drew O'Connor. Two out of three of those players are elite players in the NHL, first-line players on basically any team they're on, no questions asked. Drew O'Connor is a guy who I have had hope for that he will find his scoring, you know, uh, touch in the NHL. It has not happened. I think on most teams, most good teams in the NHL, most teams that are in a playoff spot in their division, so top three in their division, he's not in their top 12 forwards. He's not. But he's a first-line right winger for the Penguins. And mind you, he's not a right-handed player. He's not a right winger. He's never been a right winger until this season. So a player that is playing first-line minutes for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think is a fringe NHL player on most teams. But he's getting first-line minutes here in Pittsburgh. Second line, Riley Smith, Evgeny Malkin, Valtteri Pustinen. Riley Smith, I think, is a good, really, really good third-line winger and a mediocre second-line winger. He had a very good start to the season. I thought he was going to be a really like hand-in-glove replacement to Jason Zucker, especially with how good Zucker was last year. I thought Smith was going to be able to live up to that, but maybe a few less goals, you know, maybe like 22, 23-ish. He's fallen off a cliff. He hasn't done very well, other than the goal he had, uh, you know, this past week. He hasn't had a very good uh, second half to the start of the season. Evgeny Malkin is another player who is a very, very, at this point in his career, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. He's a very, very good second line center. He hasn't been producing at, he had a very good start to his uh, season. He's definitely slowed down a little bit, but he's still a very good second line center, no doubt about it. Valtteri Pustinen has played, I believe, two NHL games in his career, and he's getting second-line minutes with the Penguins. Not an NHL player. I'm sorry, but he's not. And he's getting second-line minutes with the Penguins. Cool. Third line, Vinny Henestroza, Lars Eller, Jeff Carter. Two-thirds of that line is not uh, NHL caliber. Vinny Henestroza has shown good flashes this season, uh, of you know some like skill, offensive skill, not an NHL player. I'm sorry, but he's not. He is a fringe NHL player. If you put him on the Golden Knights, on the Bruins, on the New York Rangers, he is a call up, and he's a call up here, but he's playing third line minutes right now for the Penguins. I honestly don't don't even think he'd be a top choice for a call up on those teams. But here in Pittsburgh, he's getting third line minutes. Jeff Carter is another one. Um, he's actually performed better than I expected him, uh, you know, better than last season, better than the start of the season. He's really started to kind of be somewhat contributing, even if the numbers aren't fully there for him. 
He's looked better on the ice. I think he's, like I said in the offseason, I think he's a better player when he's playing once every couple games, every, every few games. He shouldn't be an everyday player. But at this point in his career, I still don't think he is a top 12 forward on most good NHL teams. So I'm going to stand by two-thirds of that line is not NHL caliber. Fourth line, Jansen Harkins, Jonathan Gruden, Mark Johnstone. Congrats to Johnstone on making his NHL debut uh, last game against the Panthers. Not an NHL player. Jonathan Gruden, not an NHL player. Jansen Harkins, when we claimed him off waivers, I thought he was an NHL player. I have watched him enough this year to know he's not an NHL player. That entire line is AHL caliber. I think they'd probably be a good line in the AHL. They should not be getting NHL minutes. So you have three forwards on your fourth line. I'd say two forwards on your third line. And then one on each, your first and second line, that are not NHL caliber. Drew O'Connor, I'd say he is a depth forward at the NHL level. So maybe I'll exclude him from this. But Pustinen, Carter, Henestrosa, Harkins, Gruden, Johnstone, that's six forwards. If you're including Drew O'Connor, it's seven. Like I said, in fairness, Ricard Raquel and Brian Rust are not playing. But that's two guys. There are six, maybe seven forwards that are playing minutes for the Penguins that are borderline or not at all NHL players. That's not Brian Rust or Ricard Raquel's fault that they're playing, that all those guys are playing. That's a bigger issue. That's a Kyle Dubas issue, who I've been a big fan of. I like what Kyle Dubas did in Toronto. Obviously, they didn't have a ton of playoff success, but he built some really good teams in Toronto. They won one series uh, last year against Tampa. I really liked the moves that he made this offseason. I thought he did very well building... You know, bottom six depth that's responsible defensively. Good penalty kill guys. Nolachari was, I think, it was a good signing. I I know that he hasn't put up great numbers. He's been great on the PK, great defensively. He's out injured right now too. Matt Nieto, another guy who's a bottom six forward. Uh, he's injured right now as well. He's good penalty killing defensive bottom six guy. That fourth line guy, he's not a third liner. He's a good fourth line guy. Same with Achari. Those are fourth line guys. They, they were doing well before they got injured. So I want to give them benefit. So that's four guys who are injured right now, but there's seven. That's still six to seven guys who should not be in the NHL on this team. I think when fully healthy, the Penguins top six is an NHL top six. Their fourth line is an NHL fourth line. I think the issue is their third line is a bunch of garbage. Lars Eller's awesome. He's good. Def- again, another good defensive penalty-killing face-off guy. He seems like to be a great leader in the locker room. Always talks to the media. He's a good leader. But he'd probably be better suited as a fourth-line center than a third-line center. Left wing and right wing on the third line, there is no player in the organization that fits those roles competently. That's why they've been throwing guys like Drew O'Connor, Jeff Carter, uh, Harkins, because they, they don't know what to do and they don't have the guys. They don't have the cap space to get those guys. They just don't have the that type of player. And the third line, it's 2023 right now. The third line is not 
meant to just be throw body. It's not a checking line anymore. Your third line needs to be able to produce offensively. And at their best, at fully healthy, the third line has a good defensive center and two wingers on it that cannot produce anything, that are kind of just guy. That's a problem. I don't know what the fix is. This offseason, Kyle Dubas went out and acquired Eric Carlson, took up $10 million. In fairness, he got rid of a lot of bad, three really bad contracts that needed to get off the books, kind of equaled out. More than equaled out, actually. He gained cap space in that trade. So that's not the problem. He spent $4.5 million to bring in Ryan Graves, who filled the spot for $4.1 million Brian Dumoulin. So, but I I don't want to blame Gra- this, the Graves signing for all of this. But third line wing is completely depleted. The bottom pair on defense is completely depleted. It's Ryan Shea and John Ludwig right now. POJ has been out with injury. Um, I don't, uh, Chad Ruedel even has been out with injury. But I like I said about the forwards, I don't think Ryan Shea and John Ludwig particularly are NHL players. I think at best, those are guys you call up from Wilkes-Bear. Those are not guys that should be everyday NHL players, even when there are injuries. I think those are guys you should call up when there's like two injuries, three injuries on the defense. Which even when Chad Ruedel was healthy, Ryan Shea was playing almost every day. Even when POJ was healthy, Ryan Shea was playing. Ludwig got some got one game before he got concussed, missed time, and now he ever since he's been back, he's been an everyday player. POJ's been on and off, healthy, unhealthy. I I think they may have they being Kyle Dubas in his front office may have wrongfully allocated cap. I think they just kind of filled in guys. Um kind of like money for money replacements almost. Jeff uh, Jeff Petrie was the highest paid defenseman on the team and he was dealt out in the Carlson deal. They instead of using that money to you know change the uh the makeup of the team, you brought in a more expensive defenseman in a similar role. I don't think the I, I mean Jeff Petrie was not good for the Penguins. Plain and simple, he was not good for the Penguins. And I think Eric Carlson's done well. I don't think that the Carlson trade was a mistake. I think the fact they were able to acquire him and get all those bad contracts off the books, I think that was a masterclass by Kyle Dubas. I stand by it. But I don't think, I don't know if in the grand scheme of things, it made the team better. Because they could, if they were able to get rid of those contracts and use all that extra money to bolster the issues they had last season, which was depth scoring. The issue wasn't, oh, they don't have a puck-moving offensive right-handed defenseman. They've had that for the last decade and a half, two decades. That's Crystal Tang. Crystal Tang wasn't the issue last year. The issue was there was no depth scoring. And instead of addressing that, Kyle Dubas doubled down on a similar player type that they already had in Crystal Tang and kind of just... One for one replaced every other guy who left the who left the team. Riley Smith in for Jason Zucker, Ryan Graves in for Brian Dumoulin. 
and then there was no more money to allocate for depth scoring. Last year, I believe all the forwards in the top six had 20 or more goals. And I don't think, I'm, I, I could be wrong here, but I think no one in the bottom six had more than 10. It was something crazy. The percentage of goals that was scored by the Penguins' top six was, I think, the most in the NHL. Because they're, they were a very top-heavy team, and they still are. There's, it's good that your top players are performing. But guess what? Almost every team in the league, their top two lines produce offensively. Unless you're a god-awful team that's in a rebuild, your top two lines should score. What sets teams apart is having guys down the lineup that can score as well. That's why that's what made the Penguins win Stanley Cups. They were the deepest team in the NHL those two years. When there was injuries, you could bring guys up that could slot in like a hand and glove in the top lines. Right now, instead of that, you have Drew O'Connor, who is a fourth line slash depth forward, who's playing first line minutes right now. You have Valtteri Pustinen, who should be a top line AHL guy, getting second line minutes. Then your bottom six is a complete joke when you have injuries in the top six because you are, it's full of guys who are not NHL players. Shouldn't even be an NHL player in any circumstance. Like I said, I'm very happy Mark Johnstone got his NHL debut. I'm happy for Jonathan Gruden getting his, I think, second game uh, or fourth game. I forget. I think he had his fourth game in Pustin and had his second game, I'm pretty sure. Um, that Congratulations for those guys. That's big. That's a huge accomplishment, and they're going to get NHL game checks for that too, which is awesome. Good for them. They, But they're benefiting from incompetence from the Penguins' management. That's the problem right now. And we're going to take a quick short break. I have a lot more I want, I need, I want to discuss here about the team's struggles and what, what should be done and what's the next move. So we'll be right back after these messages. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, now, so... We're about over a quarter of the way through the season, like I mentioned. And on DraftKings Sportsbook, there are three teams tied with the best odds to win the Stanley Cup right now. The New York Rangers, Colorado Avalanche, and the Boston Bruins are all plus 750. And just behind them at plus 800 are the Vegas Golden Knights. And rounding out the top five at plus 1,000, the Dallas Stars. So three Western Conference teams there. And then the Rangers and Bruins, all with good odds to win the Stanley Cup. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get $150 instantly in bonus bets for just betting $5 on hockey. That's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Welcome back. So I mentioned possible changes. 
what would the changes be? Well, I talked about head coach, Mike Sullivan. The team's been married to him for a long time, and it didn't seem like there's any possibility that that'll happen. I still think it's unlikely. I think there'd be more, they'd be more likely to uh, fire Todd Reardon and get someone else. I don't know who would be a better uh, power play guy. As much as I love a guy like Sergei Gonchar, I think he'd be a great guy for the job. I think he has a job in Vancouver or Minnesota. I'm not sure. But I think Reardon would be the first guy to go more than likely. I think that they'd probably wait to do a Sullivan or head coaching change. But say they were. Say they were willing to fire Mike Sullivan after this week. Maybe they lose that Toronto game. Kyle Dubas is embarrassed. He He lost to his former team on the international stage, more than just the national stage. It'd be all over Canada, all over the U.S. So Sunday, Monday, whatever you want to call it, comes after that Saturday night game, they fire Mike Sullivan. Who do they bring in? Who is out there who is a competent head coach that could you know, change things for the team? I don't think that they can go and just bring up in, uh, a Wilkes-Barre coach. I think that they need to go out and get someone who has some experience at some, some NHL-level experience. A guy who was just fired not too long ago, Jay Woodcroft of the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers had a terrible start to their season under Woodcroft. They fired him, hired Chris Knobloch, the former uh, Erie Otters head coach, the former Hartford Wolfpack coach, and they've been great ever since. But Jay Woodcroft had a lot of good years, not a lot of good years, but he had some good years under uh, or co- ahead of coaching the uh, Edmonton Oilers. He'd be a guy I'd look at. I don't know how well his system would work for the Penguins, given he was used to a team that was all speed, all offense, uh, which is what the Penguins should be all. They should be all offense, but they don't have much speed left anymore at the you know late ages that most of the players are at. So I'm not sure how well he would fit. I think he'd be an interesting choice. I'd be, I'd, I think it's a likely choice. I think that Kyle would make. I think that they would be aligned a lot. They're both younger guys. They both uh, are analytically inclined, from from my understanding. So I'd be interested to see if the two of them would be a match. Some other guys that are available. Dean Evison was just fired last week from the Minnesota Wild. I don't think he would be Kyle Dubas's first choice, but he's out there. Gerard Gallant does not have a job. He was the head coach of the Rangers the past few years. He had experience with uh, Vegas and Florida as well. I believe he was also the Columbus head coach before uh, Florida. I could be wrong. Um, but he's out there. He... I think would be a similar kind of vibe to Mike Sullivan. Um, I'm not exactly sure what all of his philosophies are, but the Rangers had some good years under under him. The Vegas Golden Knights had some really good years, especially the uh, first year that they went to the Cup in their inaugural season. So I wonder if that could be a change. I feel like he would kind of fit the um, philosophy of you know firing a coach, hiring. He seems like the kind of guy that in his first year could get them to the to the promised land or at least help them get to the playoffs. He seems to have a very short shelf life for the teams he's with, but in his first few years, he seems to really uh, get the most out of his team. So I'd be I'd be interested to see if Gallant's a guy they would look at. Another name uh, to a lesser extent that 
I would be interested if they look at, but I don't think it's likely, is Joel Quinville, who obviously won three cups with Chicago. I believe he's a Hall of Famer, but he was also there during the scandal of Kyle Beach. So I'm not sure whether teams are looking actively to hire him at this point. He may still be on the, you know, the, the do not hire list that I'm, I'm sure doesn't exist, wink, wink, in the NHL. So I'm not sure uh, what the status of him is. I haven't heard much of from him or about him over the past couple years other outside of the Kyle Beach situation. Um, so there's that. I, I, I've, I've heard people mention his name, but I, like I said, I don't see the Penguins uh, or Kyle Dubas wanting to go that route. That would be a PR nightmare, to be honest, and understandably so. So those are just a few names who have NHL head coaching experience. If I were to rank them on likelihood, I'd probably say Woodcroft, Gallant, Everson, Quenville. Obviously, there's other names out there that would get a look, but those are four names that are available at the very least or seem to be available. But I definitely would say Quenville is the least likely out of all of those guys. Um, but Woodcroft would be an interesting Interesting choice. I'm sure that that's going to be a polarizing opinion, and I know not everyone loves what he did with uh, with Vegas, no, sorry, not Vegas, uh, with Edmonton. But I'd be uh, interested to see how that would work. I think Kyle would be more receptive to the to him than a lot of other options out there. And that's if they want to do a coaching change. But what if they want to make a trade? Now they don't have a lot of money to do it, like none. They got like no money to do it at all. But right now, Ricard Raquel is on LTIR, so they have a little bit of LTIR space. But I think they expect him back before the end of the season, before the deadline. So you can't really go and get more um, money without sending some out. Um, so there is that. And right now, I don't think there's any guy on the Penguins with you know money that would be easy to trade. Jeff Carter making his 3.125. Has a has a no move clause, so I mean I don't see him wanting to go anywhere. I think I heard something about him buying a house in the off season in Pittsburgh, so it sounds like he's planning on, you know, staying here until he's uh, maybe even after he's retired. Uh, so I don't see him being willing to move that no trade. So I'm not sure what money would have to go out, but we're gonna pretend money going out isn't a problem. We're gonna pretend Kyle Dubas is smart and can figure out some shenanigans to make money fit what are some guys that are out there who I think could be good improvements to the team and I wasn't really looking at defense although right now there are a lot of good defenders out there on the market Um, Nikita Zadorov was just dealt to Vancouver not too long ago I know Noah Hannafin who is a guy the Penguins I think looked at at the end of last season I think he's going to be moved so from another Calgary defender Chris Tanov Another Calgary defender is like gonna is uh on the market. I wasn't looking at defenders when doing this exercise. I was looking more at who can help improve the uh, forward depth and who can kind of help there with that power play. Who's a guy who I think could do good on the power play? Uh, I have three names. I don't think uh, all of them are likely to happen, but I do think that they're guys who would immediately improve uh, the forward depth and the power play. And it also goes without saying there would need to be retention, probably 50% on each of these guys. Cause all of them 
or at least the first two I'm going to say, are making a fair amount of money. They would probably need to have some retention to make that work for the Penguins. First guy I'm going to go with I think is the least likely to happen, Chicago Blackhawks forward Nick Felino. Now, if Corey Perry was still a thing, I would uh, mention him as a potential fit, but I'm not sure. Kind of like the Quenville situation, there's just so much murkiness around everything that happened there. I don't know if he is an actual option, so I'm not going to put him up as a potential option. I'm just going to leave Corey Perry out of it. He is a free agent right now. The Blackhawks did terminate their deal with him, so he would cost no assets, but like I said, there's just so much unknown about it. I don't think that the Penguins or Kyle are going to want to make that risk. But Nick Felino, 36 years old, he would be a rental. He's on a one-year deal. He signed a big one-year deal with the Blackhawks in the offseason. He was signed to kind of isolate Connor Bedard. And I would expect this deal to not happen until the deadline because I think the Blackhawks want to keep him around. I think they want to have him ice, kind of still isolate Connor Bedard for as long as possible. Felino making $4 million, as I mentioned, on that one-year deal. This year, he is almost half a point a game, which is surprising. He's getting elevated minutes in Chicago because their forward depth is so bad. But the last two years, he was with Boston. Uh, last year, he had 60 games played, 26 points. The year before, 64 games played, only 13 points. But this year, he's at a, almost a half a point a game pace, 12 points in 26. Four of those were goals. And he got some uh, power play goals as well this year. He's the kind of guy who I think would be a good offensive-ish fourth-line option. Maybe even a third-line guy. If you can get them to retain half, he comes down to $2 million. I think that's a completely feasible thing. But if you want to play him you know, 10, 12 minutes a night, but you can use him on the power play, I think he'd be a good net front presence guy just kind of a like a prick to play against he can he's a real you know tough hard-nosed guy been around for a long time a great leader he I think his style of play is something that's really missing from the Penguins he can lay hits he's not the biggest body but he he really uses all of his six foot 208 pound frame when he's playing out there even at his extended age he's had some health issues but I think right now he's playing you know some of the best hockey he's played of uh recent memory his point pace right now would have him having his uh, second or his best season since the 16-17 season, which was with Columbus. He was the captain there for a while. Um, and the Penguins have had many battles against him whenever he was the captain of the Blue Jackets. But it would be very interesting to see if the Penguins could make that work. I really do like him as a player still. He's, it seems like he still has a little bit left in the tank. Um, and it wouldn't cost, I don't think, a ton. But I'm not sure if the Blackhawks want to deal him. I think they want to keep him just because of how few NHL forwards they have. Even if they're not planning on competing, I think that they're going to try to hold on to him as long as possible. Maybe make him a deadline uh, a deal where you know Bedard will have like most of the season under his belt with Foligno. Um, so I'm not sure the likelihood there, but is an interesting name nonetheless. And the uh, one of the other names I was looking at. Uh, which would be harder to make happen because he's getting paid more. But nonetheless, uh, Adam Henrique, who's a player I've kept my eye on for a while now, he is making $5.825 million. So if you retain half of that, it's a little less than $3 million he'd be making. He's a center. He also plays the wing. He is left-handed. So you can put him on left wing, put him on center. 
I think he'd be a better third-line center or third-line left-wing option than what the Penguins have right now. Because if you put him at third-line center, you can move Lars Eller down to the fourth-line center, which he's he'd be a great fourth-line center, and then maybe move Achari to the uh, to the wing there on the uh, on the fourth line. But also, you have the opportunity to put him as a third-line left wing, which I think would be probably better for him or better for the Penguins because they have so little, you know, third, like I said earlier, so little third-line winger depth there. There's no one that's like a good third-line caliber winger on the team. They have first and second-line guys and then a bunch of fourth-line slash AHL guys. I think Adam Henrique is perfect for that role. I think he'd be a great third-line left wing for the Penguins. But like I said, it'd be hard to move, uh, hard to make fit, rather. He does have a modified no-trade clause, a 10-team list. I don't expect that the Penguins would be on that list, but I'm not sure, obviously. This season, he does have some power play goals and points under his belt, but all in all, he has 25 games played and 11 points, so a little less than half a point a game. Over the past few years, he scored 38 points in 62 games, 42 points in 58 games back in 21-22. He's been consistently around a half a point a game player in his career. Doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. He had four games back in 17-18 with the Ducks. And then back in 11-12, his second season in the NHL, but his first full one, he had 23 uh, playoff games played with the Devils. That's whenever they made their trip to the final and lost to the LA Kings. So I think he'd be a really, really, really good fit. Uh, Canadian kid, like I said, left-handed, be a really good left winger. He's 33. He's 33 years old, so... Even if you want, if it if it ends up working out and you wanted to resign him uh, at the end of the year, he probably still has a few more years left in the tank. He's been getting overpaid the past few seasons with Anaheim, no doubt about it. But I do think he's a good player and would really fill a role that the Penguins just do not have anyone in right now. And um, he actually made a really good play in the uh, Anaheim Pittsburgh game that was in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think it was last month where it was the Mason McTavish goal that was you know in the dying seconds of the third period. He's the one that intercepted the Eric Carlson pass, passed it up to Mason McTavish on the breakaway, and Mason had a clear goal. Uh, you know, no, Nothing was stopping him on that goal. That was all Adam Henrique. He set that play up. So he still, I think, has a lot left in the tank and um, could be a really good addition for the, for the Penguins, in my opinion. The last guy I wanted to mention is maybe a more likely option. I think it'd be easier to ha- uh, to make happen, but I'm not sure if asset-wise it would cost more. Probably would. And that is Montreal Canadiens forward Sean Monaghan. Monaghan's a guy I wanted the Penguins to be in on in the offseason, but he ended up re-signing with Montreal after being traded there um, the previous year from Calgary. He was a salary dump. The Calgary Flames just needed the money off the books. I think they sent a first-round pick to Montreal to get him off the books, but he's actually had a pretty good tenure with Montreal, all things considered. He's been injured. He only played 25 games last year, but in those 25 games, he had 17 points, six goals, 11 assists. This year, through 27 games, so he's already surpassed his games played this this season from last year, he has 16 points, eight goals, eight assists. Excuse me, some of those were on the power play as well. And he's the kind of guy who I think would be a, like Henrique, a good third-line wing option, but he also can play center. He's played center um, throughout his career. He was the center for Johnny Gaudreau in uh, Calgary for many years. He was a sixth overall pick 
and he's only 29. I think he would be a great fit in Pittsburgh, making less than $2 million. He's 1.985 right now, and I think he would be a really good third-line wing option and a really good power play option. He has a bigger frame than either Felino or Henrique. I think I forgot to mention Henrique. Henrique is six foot uh, even and 195 pounds. Monahan six two two oh two. So that's the kind of guy I think. I don't know exactly what how he's been deployed in the power play on the in the past, but he's the kind of guy that I think could be possibly a good net front presence on either PP one or PP two. So. Um, not sure how willing Montreal would be to get rid of him. He is making not a lot of money, and he is probably going to be a good trade chip for them at the deadline if they wanted to wait just because of how cheap he is. But And he can play all three offensive positions, center, left wing, right wing, and he brings a lot of experience with with him. Like, like I said, he was the first-line center for many years in Calgary. He, got, he has had a lot of injury issues, so he, I think... I think the talent is still there. I just think that he's just had so many setbacks. It's been really difficult for him to get ice time or get consistent ice time at least. There's a few other guys on Montreal's roster that could potentially be options, but I don't I don't necessarily think they're going to be as easy to, to make happen. I, I think Mark Madden tweeted uh, or wrote an article, something about Josh Anderson. That makes no sense to me whatsoever because he has a four-year deal at 5.5 and his numbers suck. So as much as you might like the player and like the size and all that, I and he would be a good net front presence, it does not make sense for the Penguins at all to acquire Josh Anderson. I'm vehemently against that. Same with uh, Brandon Gallagher. He's 31, making 6.5 for the next four seasons. Another guy like Anderson and kind of like Monaghan, who's had a ton of injury history, not sure how consistent he'd be, and he'd have a huge number on him uh, to come to the Penguins. And Ken Hughes... The general manager of Montreal has been fantastic, so I don't expect that any player that they want to acquire from Montreal would be easy for uh, Kyle Dubas to get. Uh, Tanner Pearson, once a Penguin at one point, uh, um, 31-year-old, he's on a one-year deal at 3.25. I think that could possibly be an option, but it did happen before, and it didn't really work out here in Pittsburgh for him. He's kind of changed things around. He's uh, you know jumped around a little bit. He's had... A resurgence. Uh, he had a few really good years in, Van, in uh, excuse me, in Vancouver. Uh, Nineteen twenty, he had forty-five points in sixty-nine games. Twenty-one, twenty-two, he had thirty-four points in sixty-eight games. He's had some injury uh, issues. Only played fourteen games last year with Vancouver. Now is in Montreal. He has eight points in twenty-seven games, but uh, he has a uh, I think one or two power play points there. I don't think that's a likely option, um, but it's there. I think the best choice if you could make it happen out of any of the guys I've mentioned uh, over the past couple minutes Montreal or even uh, between Henrik and Felino, I think Sean Monaghan would be a great option for the Penguins to look at he's affordable I think they can make it fit and he would be he would fill a great role that the Penguins desperately need filled um, Henrik I think would fill that even better I just think he's more expensive and would be harder for that to make happen and Felino is kind of a less talented version of those two and older, so you're not really sure what you're going to get there. But he's probably equally injury-prone uh, as Monaghan. So those are just some options. Those are some guys I was looking at. I, I was looking around the league at teams that are probably going to sell, 
and contracts that would be easy to acquire, guys who were likely to be moved at the deadline, if not sooner, who would fill the role that the Penguins have open right now. Because I, I want to reiterate, they have they have no one that can fill the third-line wing role. They got nobody. So if you can get one or two guys on the cheap that can fill those roles, who can also play power play minutes, because guess what? It's 2023. You need forwards on the third line that can play meaningful power play minutes. And Lars Eller is not great at that. I'm sorry, but he's not. That's not the kind of style he plays. He's been all right, but he can do better. We can do better as the uh, Penguins organization and Penguin fans. So hopefully Kyle is planning something right now because, like I said, things are bleak right now in Pittsburgh. I still think things can be fixed, but the power play firing at 9.5%, the team only, you know, they're averaging less than three goals a game, that you're not going to make the playoffs, let alone the Stanley Cup, which is what they want with that kind of production. So we'll see. Like I said, we're a little over a quarter of the way through the year. There's a lot of hockey left to be played. Hopefully the next time I talk to you, this team has something figured out. If there's some big change that happens, you bet I'm going to make an emergency podcast and talk about it, whether that's a firing, a trade, whatever. Um, But yeah, so that's where we're at right now on December 10th, Sunday. We're approaching an hour, so I'm going to leave leave it there. Thank you for listening to episode 25 of the Penscast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lucas Wester. There are Penscast accounts at, at Pens underscore cast on both Instagram and Twitter. I just haven't had the time to really, you know, monitor it very well or, you know, use it, but it's there. So, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. And hopefully next time we got more positive things to, to discuss because, man, things are bleak.